real well from your Bible, uh, but we'll put the scriptures on the screen here. There are four things I want to point out from the scriptures we just read. The question, the star, the worship, and the warning. So let me go ahead and just read this again. Verse 2, Matthew 2. The wise men show up in Jerusalem. They've been following this star for two years, nearly two years. The star has led them to Jerusalem. Now, this is interesting because Jesus was not in Jerusalem. He was in Bethlehem. But if anybody should have known about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't you think the people who held the prophecy should have known? It's all right to say yes or nod your head. Okay, I can't see if you, don't, if you nod your head, so amen, that's good. All right, so they should have known. Three miles from Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus Christ is active. He was born in Bethlehem, just three miles away. And all of Jerusalem is ignorant of this fact. I believe the Lord led these wise men there. This is my opinion. He led those wise men there to kind of stir up the city. And that's exactly what took place. To let them know what they were not paying attention to. I say that because you and I hold a copy of the Word of God, or at least we have it available to us. Let's not be guilty of being ignorant at the second return of Christ. Are you with me? We ought to know on the authority of God's Word, just as He came the first time, He's coming the second time. We have no excuse. Boy, let's be ready for that. And so they say to the uh, people that they meet at the palace, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Now, they didn't say, what kind of accommodations do you have here? Not saying that's wrong, but that wasn't the question. They didn't say, well, uh, what's the palace look like? Or can you show us the nearest coffee shop? And I'm not against those things. But their emphasis was on one thing and one person, that was the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd invested themselves for nearly two years following up and down the desert hills to get, end up at Jerusalem. Where is he that is called the King of the Jews, that is born King of the Jews? Well, it's certainly Jesus that you and I should be looking for as well. When we go to church, listen, praise the Lord for nice accommodations, for air conditioning in the summer and heat in the winter, shelter in the sh when it's raining out. We praise the Lord for that and, and comfortable seats. But when all is said and done, if Jesus is not in the house, it doesn't mean anything. Matter of fact, I read about a church in Revelation chapter 3 that Jesus wasn't even in the house. He was knocking at the door. As we come to assemble together, our question is, where is Jesus, who was born King of the Jews? And we ought to ask our own heart, our own, examine our own selves. Is he in our heart? Is he alive and well in us? And so the question is very significant because it real, reveals a priority, an emphasis, a necessity. And I'll come back to that. The next thing I'd point out is the star. The star. So you're going to notice on the scripture, 
It says, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? That's the question. But the next thing they say is, for we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. I want to share just a few things about that. I think it's kind of obvious, but I do spend a lot of time studying the word. And it may be obvious to you as well. Obviously, a star shines brightest at night. And there's something to be said about honoring the Lord Jesus Christ when it's most difficult in your life. Being faithful to the Lord. Praising Him even when life is difficult. Because He is worthy to be praised. We're to be thankful in all things because if you're saved, you've already got the cake. Everything else is icing. It really, it's not going to get any better. The, the, the worst it will ever get for you and I on this side of eternity, uh, it, the, the worst it will ever get for us is here on this side of eternity. The best it will ever get for the lost man is on this side of eternity. Because once they die, that's, that's it. Now, this, this star, this star we find led them the moment Jesus was born it led them from where they were at, somewhere out in the Middle East in Persia, all the way to Jerusalem. And then it, it disappeared for a little bit. But it brought them to the place where they could inquire of the Scriptures. And so when the king discovers there's a king, what's this all about? And he calls the scribes and those who knew the Bible. He said, you need to search this. And they began searching the scriptures and they discovered uh, he was born in Bethlehem. That's the location. So these wise men were led by the star to the word of God. And then from there, they're led to the distinctively distinct location of where the child Jesus was at. Right to his house. And they, as they leave the palace, they see the star again. They get happy because that star is a witness. That star is evidence. And it brings them to Jesus Christ. And I just make a quick comment on that as well. Uh, as we consider it being his star, there's a lot of so-called stars in the world. But not every star is pointing people to Jesus Christ. And I would ask you, my friend, if you're here, we're here to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you pointing people to him? Because if we are his star, that's what we ought to be doing. Whether it be encouraging them to come to a church that preaches the gospel, whether it be sharing your testimony with them, whether it be handing out a gospel track, just being soul conscious, understanding the needs of humanity around us. Because if you are his star, your purpose is to point people to him. My purpose is to point people to him. And you know, uh, his star is not going to get worried about Jesus getting all the glory. That's the whole idea. Something happens once they find Jesus. We don't see the star anymore. It's gone. It did its job. They found Jesus. And so, we consider the question, we consider the star, but let's consider the worship. So I look at verse 11. 
It says, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and said, Where's the bathroom? Is there sleeping quarters here? No, that's not what it said. It said, and worshipped him. And worshipped him. Even before they pulled out their gifts, they poured out their hearts. The fact is, a gift, a material gift means nothing if there's no heart in it for the Lord. These men humbled themselves and before this little child. And you know what's interesting? We're not talking about a baby anymore. And I, he's, You get about two years old, you can get squirrely. How many of you got any two-year-olds running around your place or grandkids that are two? Yeah. They get a little squirrely. But for some reason, this boy stood still, and we know he's God in flesh. And his mother probably said, now, son, I need you to stand here for a moment. These fellows have come to see you. I don't know how much consciousness he would have had. God allowed himself to be this little baby. It's a mystery beyond mysteries to me. And he allowed himself to grow naturally as all of us experienced. I don't know how conscious he would have been at that age of his own deity. I don't know. We can speculate all you want, but there's, we just don't know. But we know that God was overseeing all of this. The Father was overseeing all of this. The Spirit was overseeing all of this. And, and we see that uh, they worshipped him. They finally found him. They poured their hearts out to him. And they gave. It's interesting because I believe God, there's, there's, there's numerous reasons for all of this. Joseph and Mary were not a wealthy couple. Y'all aware of that? They couldn't find room in the inn. If they had money, they probably could have. They were not a wealthy couple, and they were going to need to be doing some traveling here shortly. And the Lord, through these gifts, no doubt, Joseph and Mary were able to take care of their family and flee to Egypt when Herod went nuts. But they worshipped. You know, that's exactly what you and I need to learn to do. There's, there's something to be said about worship in the Bible. You don't have to have money to worship. You don't even have to have a higher education to worship. All you got to do is have a heart to please the Lord and understand that He is worthy. He is worthy. And God is pleased with your worship. It's like incense in heaven. It, he's pleased when He sees and hears a sincere heart lifting up gratitude and praise to him. You want to get God's attention? You worship him. You want God to smile on you? You want to get God's favor? You be somebody who worships the Lord Jesus Christ. They worshiped. And then finally, verse 12 it says, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So I want to consider this for a moment, the warning. You know, I really believe as we worship the Lord, God gives wisdom and direction in our lives. 
We see it with these fellows here. Herod was not going to be happy. We know that his motive when he lied to the wise men, when, they, when he said, when you find the child, return and tell me so I can worship him too. We know that Herod was lying. We see that as the chapter continues. God knows the hearts, and God told those wise men, you can't go back through Jerusalem. Don't do it. He warns them, protects them. There's just something about having God's divine protection on your life. There are people in this room that can look back in their life and acknowledge only God rescued me from that situation. Only God lifted me out of the hospital bed. Only God redirected that truck or that car. Only God did that. Now, as sure as I say that, I know that none of us are going to live forever in these bodies. But nevertheless, when we experience those uh, moments of God's grace and protection, we better give him the praise. We better give him the glory. They're warned. And then there's this little phrase here, and I've shared this in the past, and I'll share it again. The last two words, another way. You see, when somebody meets Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, there's an effect it has if they truly meet Jesus. There's an effect he has on their hearts. You know, Peter was a fisherman, but when he met Jesus, he went another way. Paul, Paul was a militant religious man persecuting Christians, but when he met Jesus, he went another way. Mary Magdalene was filled with demons, but when she met Jesus, she went another way. Lydia, the seller of purple in the book of Acts, when she met Jesus, she went another way. And we could go on and on and on throughout the New Testament all the way till today. Those who have met Jesus... There's that tendency to go another way. Which way is that? It's the way the Lord leads and the way the Lord guides and the way the Lord directs. How often, listen, you get saved. You receive Christ as your Savior. Boy, you humbled yourself before him, and then all of a sudden you start coming to church, and then you get really radical, and you start coming on Sunday nights, and your neighbors think you're weird, and all you can tell them is, I'm going another way. I'm going another way. People at work start seeing you with your Bible and reading your Bible and, and uh, you, you don't listen to the dirty jokes anymore and, and you don't talk, uh, you don't have the filthy language anymore and, and you're a little more patient, a little more tolerant, a little more kind. They say, what happened to you? Well, I'm going another way. And what happened? That was Jesus Christ, his effect on your heart and our hearts and that's the, that's the effect that he has and I just love that. They went another way, another way. I was thinking about this uh, story, how to tie this thing up, and there's this, there's this story that come to my mind. I've shared it a number of years ago. You know, here, here are these wise men. They, they get there, and they find this little boy. He's not a baby anymore. So innocent. But there's something absolutely amazing about him because deity resides in him. And they're aware of it, and they've, they humble themselves, and they acknowledge him for who he is. They worship him. He is worthy of worship, and they give gifts. And 
Oh, my goodness. And God is guiding and directing their lives. And this made me think of a story. There was an art collector in England years and years ago in the 20, uh, 19th century. It would have been the 20, early 20th century is what it would have been. This art collector had one little boy. He had one boy. He and his wife were able to have one child. And boy, he loved and adored that little boy. And he had a, a, a painting made of his little boy. Boy, he put that in one of the main rooms of their house. He was a very wealthy man, and he collected art. Man, he had Rembrandts, he had Da Vinci's, he had Picasso's. He had all of this expensive art in his house. Just amazing. His wife ended up dying, and then it was just he and his boy. And then his boy ended up dying before he reached manhood. This old man was just so grieved, it brought him to his grave as well. But in his will, in his will, he, he made some plans for his estate. He said uh, in his will that he was going to auction off all of the art. And I mean, he had millions of dollars back then, millions of dollars worth of art in his house, in his estate. And so they sent word out through the country, through England and Europe and even America. And months and months later, when the day of the auction finally uh, arrived, I mean, there were hundreds of art collectors that showed up with their pockets filled, ready to buy a Rembrandt, a Picasso, a Da Vinci. Boy, they were ready. And so they had all of this fine art up on the platform in the house and the auctioneer went to town, and he started, hold, they, they held up, first of all, they held up a picture of the little boy, the owner's son. None of these famous artists painted the little boy. It was an unknown artist. Fine picture, but the auctioneer said, who give me $100, $100 for this, this picture of the owner's son? Nobody raised their hand. Nobody spoke a word. The auctioneer lowered the price. $50, who give me $50, who give me $50? Nobody spoke a word. All of a sudden, people started grumbling and said, what about the other paintings? The auctioneer ignored them following, following the will, the plan that was in the will. Who will give me $25, $25 for the picture of the son? The gardener, the man who worked on the estate and took care of the grounds, happened to be walking through the room. And he was looking at all the paint collectors, art collectors, just indignant at what they thought was a waste of time. And he listened to the auctioneer offer away the picture of the little boy. He got it down to $10. Nobody raised their hand. Nobody said a word. And the, the gardener said, I'll give you $10. I'll give you $10. The auctioneer says, $10 going once. $10 going twice. Anybody give me $15? Anybody give me $15? Nobody. $10 sold to the man in the back. Everybody with a Look of relief said, good, now we can get on to the rest of the paintings. The auctioneer 
closed his book and said, the auction's over. It's over. Everybody started grumbling and frustrating. The auctioneer was told to mention, whoever bought the picture of the boy got the whole collection. When you and I have Jesus, we got all we need. All we need. If I can have you, bow your heads a moment. Father, we love you. We pray your spirit would help us to honor Jesus. Help us to understand and grow and learn to be a witness. It may be there's somebody in the house this evening that does not know the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. He is our only hope, and we are thankful he's available to everybody. We're thankful, Lord, that we can talk to you now. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I can see good enough to ask this question. This evening, if you are not 100% sure that you will go to heaven when you die, I mean, that's, that's being direct. I'd like to pray for you. If you'd say, Preacher, I do not know that I'm going to heaven, but I don't want to go to hell. If you would slip your hand up so I can see it, I'll pray for you. Is there anyone like that at this time that say, That's me, Preacher, that's me. Okay. God bless you, yes. Are there any others? All right, I see that hand. I want you to talk to your mama, okay? Lord God, I pray that you bless our invitation uh, time now minister to our hearts as we take a moment to praise you and just let the piano play for a little bit we'll have an invitation we'll just let the piano play for a moment in an attitude of prayer and we'll have brother brian come on up here and we'll get ready to sing our last few christmas carols